And you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. And that's the beta band playing in the backdrop. And that song is for Liana. She's the one for me. Did you know that WHIV is a volunteer-driven community radio station? We are able to honor independent voices with your support. So stand with human rights. Stand for social justice by becoming a member of WHIV today. Monthly memberships are flexible. That could be anywhere between $1, $5, $10, $20 per month, whatever works for you. Or you can represent WHIV with a t-shirt, tank top, fanny pack, or whatever. More can be found at our online store. So go to whivfm.org and click support or store. Again, that's whivfm.org. Thank you for helping us to honor independent voices. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station. End all wars. It really is a pleasure to be here. 102.3 whivfm.org. It is awesome. Uh, I actually was, as I was getting ready uh, this morning, um, it occurs to me that on December 1st, WHIV will have been on air for five years, which is crazy when I think about it. Uh, and, uh, and so I just want to say thank you to all of our listeners and all of our supporters here at WHIV for helping WHIV to uh, last uh, five years and, uh, uh, and to be around. And that's largely, uh, I, I believe, uh, that we have been on air for so long is because of the support of our community partners. And one of those community partners are in this morning. And as we are just getting ready to start the Get, Chet, Get Fit, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. Doc Griggs is not in as of yet right now, but uh, it is really a pleasure to have on today with us Melissa Tyler, who is the Development Director of the New Orleans Women and Children's uh, Shelter. Uh, and more information about them can be found at nowcs.org. And Hunger and Homelessness Awareness Week uh, is happening right now. This is an annual program where people come together across the country to draw attention to the problems of hunger and homelessness. The New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter is the largest organization serving homeless families in the greater New Orleans area with a mission to transition homeless families to sustainable and independent living. Since its inception in 2007, the shelter has helped more than 2,500 homeless women and children transition from living on the streets to safe, affordable housing. An average of 88% of people served by the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter transition to independence and stability. And with that, let me welcome uh, Miss Melissa uh, to WHIV. Uh, it's, an, it's a pleasure to have you on. We've had you on several times uh, yes. before, and I, and I actually have a little bit of experience having actually visited the shelter and uh, taken some tours and really seen some remarkable uh, work that you all do. Uh, and seeing the growth of the uh, the facility as well. So for let's just start. Just, good morning, welcome. And so, do we say? I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be funny here, but do we say Happy Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week? Or we say that for Happy it, it, World AIDS Day is coming up, and we would say something like that for World AIDS Day. I think anytime we're raising awareness, it is a happy occasion. So good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. So tell us about what's going on this week. Tell us about the week, and yeah. then we'll transition to talking about the shelter. So um, across the country, homeless um, providers of various stripes are raising awareness about the population that we serve, which is homeless people, um, or should I say people who are homeless. Um, and it's really about having the conversation, I think, particularly for the population that the shelter serves, which is homeless families, um, they are largely invisible. And so anytime we can have a conversation about who they are and the unique challenges that they face, 
um, that's very important to do. So we're going to take advantage of this week while people are talking about it and, and share some information about our work and about um, the population that we serve. And uh, the um, one of the things, you know, yesterday, and I'm, I'll probably keep going back and referring to this, yesterday I had on uh, some representatives. Uh, uh, we had Kashana Hill, who's executive director of the Greater New Orleans, I'm going to see if I can say this, Fair Housing Action Center. Yes, or, I love Gano- Hack. Yes. Yeah. And then we had uh, Brian Decker from uh, Jane's Place. Mm-hmm. Sustainability and initiative, and and uh, and so w- yesterday I had a uh, a lesson on affordable housing, mm. and so and um, understanding uh, affordable housing, and so as we kind of quickly just kind of define how w- what the homeless problem is in in New Orleans, and maybe help kind of dissuade what people's you know, people listening, although I would imagine people that are listening to WHIV have a pretty, yeah. pretty robust <laughs> and sophisticated understanding of what homelessness is and who's homeless. But maybe help help kind of define what what is considered homelessness in, in New Orleans. So um, there is a federal definition of homelessness. Um, and that basically is that you sleep on the street for one night or more and then that you're considered homeless um, and would qualify for shelter services. The challenge that we encounter is that when the homeless population is being counted, it does not account for families that are living in constant transition. Those are, you know, families that are sleeping on the floor or the sofa in a loved one's house, um, and they don't have a permanent home address. They're not stable at all. They just sort of move from pillar to post. Um, We actually had a young lady at the shelter. She was 22 years old. Um, Her goal was to get her GED. She had three kids, and she had never had a home address. So you can imagine the challenges that she faced because if you are thrown into managing a household by yourself, when you've not seen it modeled, you've never had to do it, you've always lived pillar to post, you've always lived in transition, that's what you know. Right. Um, And so for us... Uh, affordable housing is a huge challenge. Um, it is there's nowhere, as you know, in the country that you can afford a two bedroom house working full time at a minimum wage job. There's just in in the great United States, there is not. Yeah, a single isn't that state. A, isn't that a stunning? I read that statistic yeah. yesterday on on the show, so I just want to kind of reiterate that mm-hmm. statistic again uh, that uh, Miss Melissa is talking about, and that is uh, today a uh, a minimum wage worker cannot in in fact i'm going to quote the study because i read it yesterday twice um the exact number of cities uh where a person who's making minimum wage can uh, afford a uh a uh a, i think was it a two bedroom a two bedroom, a two bedroom mm-hmm. apartment uh is exactly zero which was the, yeah. the quote, <laughs> that, uh, uh, which was an interesting way of saying it. But nonetheless, I just want to be clear that if you're making a minimum wage, you cannot live in any American city right now and afford uh, stable housing. Yeah, yeah. And that's, it's sad. And it, it is also terrifying if you're a parent and you're responsible for, you know, taking care of your children and, and providing their basic needs. Um, you can work very hard, full time. Um, and you're just not going to make ends meet in a in a reasonable way. Um, even with subsidized uh, food and housing, the challenge is great. Um, we encounter that all the time at the shelter. We have a rapid rehousing program that helps our people who are in the shelter move 
out of shelter. And one of the big challenges we have is finding affordable housing. We have some families that have, you know, four, five, six children, and they really do need a three-bedroom. Um, it is, it's impossible. It's, it's such a daunting task. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that makes people that sort of um, not, not having affordable housing inventory that is adequate um, or even really affordable uh, puts a lot of people at risk. It's, it's a risk for homelessness. It's one of those factors. If you're tuned in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. My name is uh, Dr. Derry. It is a pleasure uh, to uh, be hosting Miss Melissa Tyler, who is the Development Director of the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter. Uh, more information about them can be found at nowcs.org. Uh, and uh, at this time, this is the Get Check, Get Fit, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. Doc Griggs is not in today, so it's a pleasure to uh, actually hold down the reins uh, myself, and we're talking about uh, homelessness uh, and uh, women and uh, women and children uh, and affordable housing. So, uh, so uh, I guess the first thing I was going to say is that because uh, I, you know, of course, I lecture a lot on on the social determinants of health, and particularly HIV and hepatitis C. Yeah. And and homelessness uh, is one of the main uh, reasons. Um, uh, it's a it's a major risk factor for HIV acquisition and mm-hmm. hepatitis C, but uh, but HIV. And so there's two things I was going to ask. One is. Um, I have this slide that I show, which is still blows me away, and I, I just presented it last week, so it's fresh in my head, that after Katrina, uh, the state of Louisiana, not just New Orleans, in, after Katrina, kind of around 2009, 2010, uh, roughly a quarter of the state was listed as being, quote-unquote, homeless, and that only made the 10th yeah. state of the country <laughs> of the problem, which completely completely blows me away so one i just wanted to ask your opinion because you're an an expert on this i use the word housing insecurity is that a is that a fair word to use is that a word did i make that up or did i hear that no i think that's uh i think that's a very fair term to use there there are several types of homelessness Uh um and that absolutely sums up pretty much everything that you um don't think of when you see people under the bridge. Sure, um, people are very creative about finding housing solutions, whether temporary or more permanent. Um, they just sort of do what they have to do. Sure, um, I find that people who are low income, or you know, if you want to call them poor, or impoverished, are very creative about managing resources. Sure, and making ends meet. So, uh, housing insecurity is definitely. Uh, a great term. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so I, and I could use because I, th- I think because I think it. yeah because I think homeless is starting to you know has that stigma that has a stigmatized kind oh, yeah. of connotation to it mm-hmm. and and uh, and you know I think we're just trying to I'm, I'm just trying to do something that's a little bit more kind of people first yeah. if, if you will and, and housing insecure is really kind of uh, more about that and so I guess that transitions into kind of the next topic and and uh, and when we think about people who are homeless and I'll, we'll definitely get into affordable housing in just a second yeah. but because the factors that push you know people into uh, homelessness or housing insecurity now are different than what it may have been like 50 years ago yeah. or 30 years ago um, and, and again we'll get into some of those factors in a second but I just want you to help kind of paint the picture of who's homeless today you know it's not yeah. the the person for whom maybe in the past we thought was, you know, the traditional kind of somebody with mental illness or, you know, drug or alcohol or, mm-hmm. or you know, many conditions have led to where we are now. And I just wanted your thoughts on that. Yeah. Aside from the lack of affordable housing, what you will find is that um, a lack of affordable child care. 
for parents who have young children, um, that is definitely uh, something that that contributes to them being housing insecure. Um, because if you don't have someone to watch your children, you cannot go to work. And if you cannot go to work, you cannot afford rent. Um, but there are so many people who are working just to pay for child care. So I have a friend, um, she and her husband, um, she chose not to work because she said, if I go to work, my entire paycheck will only go to child care. So what's the point? I'll just stay home with the kids. And most people probably don't think about that, but that is something that weighs heavily on, on parents of young children, um, especially. I think also um, when you look at factors, there are still um, people who work full time, as we mentioned, minimum wage, but not even just minimum wage. There are parts of the country where people have what you might consider a well-paying job who are housing insecure because they simply cannot meet the market rate of housing in their community, but that is the community where they work. So um, it, it is a it is a very big challenge how you balance, you know, wanting to stay in the community where you work and, and where you can get to work and don't have to pay outrageous transportation costs and being able to find somewhere to live that you can actually afford in that community. Um, so those people, you know, and then we have the underemployed. So those are people, especially in New Orleans, we have a lot of service industry workers. They have temporary jobs. Maybe they're employed and they only work when we have big events. That's not adequate employment for being able to maintain um, housing. So those are some, some of the biggest factors and unfortunately, uh, addiction still is a factor, um, not as much in our shelter. We don't see that a lot um, amongst the families. Um, and then, you know, mental health issues. I think the state rolled back uh, mental health services, what was that, 10 years ago now, um, to the to Hashtag the great... goodbye Bobby Jindal. <laughs> Uh, no comment. <laughs> Sorry, okay, but I, I, I'm the political. We could do. You Bobby. can say that. Yes, I yeah, can't yeah, say yeah. Let that. me just say that the opinions expressed here are those uh, <laughs> that are just of myself, Mark Allen, Derry. They do not at all represent uh, the uh, New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter, and of course, they don't represent uh, the uh, developmental uh, development director, Miss Melissa Tyler. Yes, thank I'm sorry you. For That's that. okay, thank not you. a problem. Yeah. But those that l- a lack of services in mental health absolutely contributes to homelessness. Of course it does. You can't ignore that. You can't ignore Mm -hmm. that, not at all. And so, you know, one of the things that uh, Ms. Breon uh, Decker was talking to me about yesterday was when we look and, you know, and I live in the CBD, so I'm seeing this explosion of of construction of new new units all over the place. And one of the things that she helped kind of help me understand yesterday was that... um, Well, of course, some of those units are going to be "quote unquote" mixed income, or, or you know, you know, for tax credits. And one of the things I didn't realize is that these tax credits are sold on a market. Mm-hmm. I had no. I thought those tax credits. <laughs> I'm so naive. I, listen, I could sling a good HIV cocktail, you know, but when it comes to big business, I continue to be amazed at how naive I really am. But I didn't realize that these tax credits are ultimately a, a commodity. Yes, essentially, it that just blows me away. And it, and again, and I said this yesterday, and they all laughed at me. I'm like. Well, this is just the rich making money off the poor. And then mm-hmm. they all laughed at me. I'm like, yes, of course. That is, of course, the American way. So, But one of the things that she brought up 
that I thought were two very important points. One is that we need to start moving away from these affordable housing options that sunset. That that's one thing. Yeah. And then two, um, the 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 other point that she made is that when they look at affordable housing, apparently there's a sweet spot of like forty five thousand dollars. And they were saying something like they mentioned the AMI, and I forget what the AMI stood for. It's the average um, median income. I guess I think it's maybe it's average median income, and eighty percent of that roughly falls at, at about forty five thousand. So if, yeah. if there's a family of four who's making forty five thousand, can that, I just cut you off? Yes, please. Pause. A family of four. Making forty five thousand. Of course, I I hear you on that. No, no, no. Yes, yes. No, no. no. I hear you on that. Yes, that's an important point to make. Of course. Yeah. But when you start looking at family of fours at twenty thousand or twenty five thousand, I mean that to me really clutches. You know, kind of me the heartstrings even even more. Yeah. And and so while a family four with a median income of forty five thousand. There is that's apparently the sweet spot that where that's where developers can continue to make money. Mm -hmm. But the main problem here is why are we looking at affordable housing as a money making process? I you know what what is wrong? I know what's wrong with our society. We are (laughs) highly capitalistic uh, to the fault of of you know not having a problem. While being a winner is a good thing, uh, we don't minimize the amount of losers there are in our system. Yeah, and while we continue to uh, utilize financial gain or, or capitalism as the incentive to create affordable housing. It's not a solution for everybody. And certainly, so let me get your opinion on this. Um, the uh, the bond issue, uh, mm-hmm. the bond initiative that passed this weekend was a $500 million bond initiative. A majority of that money is meant to go for, about half of it is going for infrastructure, yeah. potholes and sewage drainage, uh, uh, and about $225 million of it is going for capital projects, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the other twenty five million is being uh um is being uh, uh guaranteed or uh as uh, for affordable housing yeah so any thoughts on that or kind of what what your um, take is on that so and i'm gonna veer a little bit off of my talking points here um we need to connect the dots when there are problems with infrastructure, the people who are most likely going to be affected by that are the people with the fewest resources so when we have a flood in our city because we have, you know, cars in the drainage culverts and it shuts down uh, a place of business or it shuts down a school for the day, then you have a mom who has to go get her children out of school, cannot go to work, and may lose her job. That actually happened to one of our residents. Um, There was an inclement weather situation. The School chose to close down. She had to go get her kids. She had just started a job. She was three weeks in, so she was still in the probation period. And because she had to go get her children, she lost her job. Now, thankfully, because she's at the shelter, we will help her find another job. Not everybody has that kind of help. Um, And I think when we look at things like infrastructure, when we look at things like climate change, when we look at, um, you know, the power going out to 5,000 people in the city on a cold morning, um, we need to really think about who that's affecting and the depth of the effect. Those things are very much connected. Um, So I'm all for anything that will improve the infrastructure in our city because ultimately that will help people who don't have the resources to react nimbly when things go awry. Yeah, and and I think that also speaks to the amazing... uh uh, 
uh, progressiveness and foresightedness of our mayor, uh, mm-hmm. Latoya Contral, who's been really fighting very, very hard yeah. uh, to basically upgrade uh, the city, uh, you know, between her getting somewhere upwards of $200 million, uh, at the end of the uh, congressional session or legislative session this year. Yeah, hashtag fair share. Yes. Uh, and then her being able to uh, bring another $500 million in uh, with a bond sale. Um, and then, of course, there's more infrastructure repair that's going to come in the form of the second bond initiative that passed, mm-hmm. which was the short-term rentals. And so yeah. in which now uh, the city is able to tack on a tax of 6.75% onto every night on a short-term rental. Uh, now this, the the, um, the city council has kind of tightened the rules a little bit as to what determines short-term rentals. So some mm-hmm. of that money, uh, I think, when uh, it, that's going to probably not be as much as they had originally thought. But still, yeah. the fact that there there is more income in the form of infrastructure. And, and to be honest with you, I had not thought about it the way that you had actually just explained it. So mm-hmm. that helps me kind of understand that uh, a little bit more. Yeah. And, uh, and you're right. And anything that helps infrastructure is going to help. Help uh, all around, especially those that are kind of teetering uh, on the edge. Right. But there is twenty-five million dollars that's that's slated for affordable housing. I, I am not an affordable housing person. I, I know that's not necessarily your your forte. Right. Uh, but I, it will be very interesting to see how that how that money uh, is going to be spent. Well, I, you know, personally, on a personal note, um, right after Hurricane Katrina, there was a slew of affordable housing units in the city um, that were road home subsidized and. The formula for determining who could afford what um, seemed very unfair to me. It was, I think, 33% of your income was what you had to pay in rent on that property. And that makes a lot of assumptions about how people's resources are allocated personally. And if you have, let's say you have three small children, they're all in daycare, you probably can't afford to spend 33% of your income on rent. So... You know, I I applaud the effort to increase affordable housing stock and inventory in our community. Um, But I'd I'd like to see how that plays out for people who, you know, really don't have the the resource allocation that they think they should have. Sure. Um, personal personal finances are just that they're personal right yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, if you're tuned in you are listening to 102.3 WHIV this is the get check get fit get moving show my name is Dr. Derry uh, with us today is Melissa Tyler who's the development director of the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter mm-hmm. more information about them can be found at nowcs.org um, so we've been talking about uh, uh, essentially uh, affordable housing and, and homelessness. Uh, uh, homelessness is caused, as we know, by a wide variety of factors, including a lack of affordable housing, low wages, poverty, and unemployment. And, of course, every person's situation is different, mm-hmm. and, and we, we've talked about that. Um, one of the things that I, I wanted to talk about or ask you about uh, as well is uh, homelessness amongst our veterans. I mm. know that that was a problem that was tackled and, and somewhat found to be successful. Yeah, um, so, you know, functional homelessness amongst veterans, I think, is the technical term for what was um, successfully tackled. And so basically, veterans who were homeless for the first time were the ones who um, we saw the great increase in, in being helped. Um, the chronically homeless veteran population, I'm not sure what the numbers are on that or how that has changed. Um you know, veterans face a number of challenges, and just like families, they have unique challenges that contribute to their homelessness 
as well. So I, I'd be interested to see what it is like for the chronically homeless veteran sure, population. Sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the programs that you yeah. guys do. So how, how does somebody find uh, the Women's and Children's Shelter? What, like, what, 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 how, what's the process? I mean, is it if somebody ends up at you know Bridge House or, or not Bridge, the Mission, for example, mm-hmm. or the Low Barrier Shelter, is there some sort of process to then kind of refer them over to y'all? Or? So we are uh, part of the... Um, coordinated entry system, which is sort of the federal government's uh, system for managing homeless shelter inventory in different population centers. Unity of Greater New Orleans manages our coordinated entry system, so they keep track of the inventory of available rooms and beds in shelters across our community. We refer people to them. They'll call. They will verify homelessness. They have people that go out. And just to no, if we were to go out and verify homelessness, we'd have to hire a staff of like six people. Um, but they go out, they verify homelessness, they look at a person's individual situation. So chances are, if you are um, homeless and you have children, they will try to place you with us, right? But if you don't have children and you're only going to be homeless for like three days because you're between apartments, then chances are you won't end up with us. So they do a very good job of the placement that does a couple of things that make sure that the beds that are for families are there when families need them. And it also helps ensure that people are not taking advantage of the system um, because that does sometimes happen. So we would refer people to unity as the very first step. And then from there we do our own intake and we come up with an individualized plan Because at the shelter, we don't look at it as you're homeless and that's the issue that we need to address. We look at it as there is something that caused you to become homeless and we need to address those things. So whether it is someone who is underemployed, we had a woman, I'll never forget, she um, had worked in fast food for like 10 years and, you know, on a fast food salary, she wasn't making ends meet. And we said, well, why don't you go after a management position? You've been doing this for 10 years. You have the experience. Go for it. Um, and so sometimes people just need an extra push to see things from a different perspective and to take a chance on themselves. Um, so we do a lot of that uh, sort of job search help. Um, and then once people get new jobs or they get to a new position, we work on how you retain that. Um, We have after-school programs for kids um, so that when the kids come home from school, and we call the shelter home because while they're with us, the shelter is home, and Orleans Parish Schools um, allows all of the schools to use our address as a home address for a student. So the school buses will drop them off. They come in and get homework help. a snack and all of the things while we're doing all of the business of the shelter and after hours, we're pretty busy after hours. Um, So we do a lot of things to help people one recover from the trauma of homelessness because there is trauma associated with that, especially for children. Children thrive on routine. They thrive on stability and living in constant transition um, can really have some, some negative effects. So we address those things On an individual basis, both with the family and with the kids, we have case plans for the children also, um, to help them really thrive once they leave. How do you mitigate 
some of those effects on children? I mean, are there studies that show what the long-term effects are, like into adulthood? I mean, I'm sure there's some sort of systemic trauma mm-hmm. uh, or some sort of childhood trauma that develops into adulthood. Uh, is there any any studies that you're aware of or any uh, considerations about that? Yeah, well, I do know that, that children who are homeless, um, they have higher incidences of, of health issues. Um, they have higher incidences of delays in learning. It's very hard to pay attention in school, you know, when you're hungry, when you're, when you're, hungry <laughs> and when you're homeless. And those two things do go together. Yes. Food insecurity and housing insecurity go hand in hand. I was going to ask about food insecurity in a moment. Yeah, they, they, are, they are two sides of the same coin. Sure. Um, and so those children are facing a number of challenges. In addition, their parents don't necessarily pick up on what those issues are because they're so concerned about where are we going to sleep? What are we going to eat? So they might miss a developmental delay. They might not understand, you know, that their six-month-old should be smiling at them, whereas a parent who is housed and has the advantage of going to see a regular pediatrician and, and can focus on those things would catch that. And so with children, it's all about early intervention. And so the longer they go without noticing what's going on with their kids, parents are missing these major milestones sometimes. And that has long-term effects. Is is a risk factor for homelessness uh, as an adult being homeless as a child? So yeah, it, you know, it's it you you learn growing up what you see sure. your parents do. You model that behavior, and we do have a number of people, especially at the shelter, who said, "Listen, this is how I grew up." Right. But a lot of them also say it stops with me, right. which is so encouraging. Sure. Um, once they get to us, we really try to empower them sure. so that they can have it stop. And we call it breaking the cycle of homelessness because it is cyclical, just like poverty is cyclical. Of course. Um, and homelessness is a poverty issue. Right. So so I, I refer to generational poverty. Mm-hmm. I refer to generational trauma. So it's fair to refer to generational either homelessness or oh, housing yeah. insecurity. Definitely. So then let me ask you this. Are, are we seeing... More home, like in terms of the country, are we seeing the greatest numbers of homelessness? I mean, we read about what's happening in California, L.A., and San Francisco. Uh, you know, and I can't believe some of the things that San Francisco has been doing. They've been putting boulders on the sidewalks. Yeah. Have you been reading about this? I, they, I mean, you know, that goes back to the benches with the bars yeah, so yeah, that people exactly, can't sleep that's on them. Exactly right. People yes. have been doing that, not in my backyard, not yes. in my community yes. thing for yes. a very long time. Yes, um, and. I think what we're seeing now, especially because we are in this information age and, you know, you can shine a spotlight on it. Every time I hear a story about a priest being arrested for feeding the homeless because that's illegal in his community, you know, I might not have read that 20 years ago. But now, because thanks to social media, I'm seeing these stories. Oh, and this is a thing? This is a thing. I think it was Florida. This uh, is Arrested in- for feeding the homeless? Mm-hmm. It's an actual thing <laughs> that happened. Yeah. So I'm laughing at not because of it's, it's ridiculous, and it's ridiculousness. Right? It is, and I would actually be more than happy to be arrested. Absolutely. For fee- that would be, I, I take one for the team right there. <laughs> absolutely. It may harm my medical license, but I think that that showing that ridiculousness yeah. is so important. You know, so I was asking, and I understand your point, you know, because we see that in medicine as well. If we look for something, you're going to find it. You're yeah. going to find more of it. So it's hard to determine are we seeing more cases or are we just looking for it and therefore we're seeing it. So my concern is are we going to see if we are in in higher levels of homelessness, Mm -hmm. you know, because let's just say because there is and I I would my suspicion is that we're seeing 
greater levels of, of non-affordable housing happening uh, and as our society is just becoming more expensive to live in that, right. and as, as uh, by more expensive meaning that, that wages aren't catching up uh, to infl- in inflation essentially you know, yeah. you're at 7.25 dollars uh, an hour is just uh, it's, it's ridiculous I think it comes out to be like 15 or 18 thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year mm-hmm. you know uh, it it's just makes it impossible for people obviously to live and then as they get forced out to you know New Orleans East or Algiers or places where yeah. theoretically they could afford then transportation becomes a whole other issue child care yep. becomes an issue going to the doctor if need be taking care of your children the, the, the whole nine so I guess what I'm asking is that I'm afraid that if we see that that housing insecurity is cyclical, are we going to see continued, you know, is there going to be a next generation of of people who are going to ultimately be homeless in 20 years? Um, and, uh, the, and and if so, what, what can we do? If you had a magic wand, what, what <laughs> would you what would you create for yourself to, to really solve the problem? I, and I know yeah. I, it's going back to social determinants, right? right. It's going back to eradic. You know, to me, p- poverty is nothing but just discrimination codified into law. That's I mean, it. that's that's it. We could turn around poverty like that, but you know, we were this weekend. You know, we we kind of dodged a proverbial bullet, and and I have some some issues with the governor that was voted in, but thank goodness Medicaid is going to be saved. But the the other person who is going to come in, who knows what would have what would have happened? Right. And the war on the poor, I anticipate, would have continued at an accelerated uh, uh, pace mm-hmm. compared to the already accelerated pace that it's right, on right. Uh, right now. Well, I think you know on the on the on the federal level. More people are looking at the wage gaps. More people are looking at um, income disparities, tax structure, how that, you know, is affecting the poor and creating the poor. Um, I think the the thing that we're seeing with the homeless population right now is it really is people who have not just minimum wage jobs, good paying jobs who cannot afford housing. That population is increasing. That population already has some political capital and will um and they're pretty loud about the situation that they're in they cannot be ignored um what i'm also saying on the flip side is nonprofits um are are providing services in a way that we provide services at the shelter so their model is not to provide services in a silo but to also um work with other organizations so partnerships and collaboration are really big right now and to dive deep and get to the root issue and work to solve that so you have on the one hand you know think tanks and uh, policy advocacy organizations that are working on the laws and the the communities uh, structures that are are contributing to the problem, but you also have organizations that are working together to say, "Hey, okay, we've got this population of people who are homeless. How do we help them where they are right now, with the laws as they are right now, with the community structure as it is right now, with the market as it is right now? How do we work together to help them come out of this situation and become more stable?" Um, and I, that is very encouraging. You know, that's a model that we use. We have 60 partners throughout the community that we work with. Um, and it's working. It's so working. Am, am I hearing you say that you are uh, to the best that y'all can do? Mm-hmm. Um, because we, 
because the state ultimately is the one that can make the rules or the feds can ultimately be the ones that make the rules. But you are tackling what – and let me ask you this. Is social determinants the right word to use for what yeah, – Yeah, so, that's fair. So that's a fair mm-hmm. state. Okay, so you, you are trying to make an attempt to tackle social determinants of housing insecurity right. as best you can given that – the the fed fed still set a minimum wage of seven twenty five. Yep. The state refuses to let New Orleans raise its own minimum wage, and they, right. they usurp our ability to uh, to increase uh, minimum wage here. Uh, and so by and so, how do you go about doing that? Like, can you give us some examples, or maybe give us a concrete example, uh, including maybe even a success story? Sure. Um, so we had uh, so we had a, a family at the shelter. Um, we have a children's case management program and, you know, children who are traumatized and who grow up in extreme poverty or grow up in constant transition, as we talked about, it's a cycle. Um, so it was not until the last day that this family was staying with us that we discovered that the children in the family had been abused. We were able to, at that point, connect them to service providers who could help with counseling to help them heal from that trauma. That kind of thing happens at the shelter all the time. Um, Sometimes, like I said, the woman who didn't, she just never thought to apply for a management position, even though she had all this experience. Well, I see that as the pointing of the way, um, it's 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 about empowerment, but it's yeah. also about resources. Yeah, and, and, and I'm super sorry to, no, to interrupt, but it. I just want to say that that speaks to me how our society continually disempowers individuals, mm-hmm. especially especially women, yeah. especially women of color. Yeah. You know, and it, you, and then add trans to that, and yeah. then that's a whole other level, whole of, other level of of, of disempowerment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it it, it it's. It just, you could see, it doesn't make for good radio, but I'm making faces and I'm holding yeah. my fist in the air right now. Rah, rah, rah. I'll, just I'll give sound angry. effects. Angry, yeah. Just like, ah. But I mean, so you, and you'll appreciate this. So we have a partnership with LSU, Health Sciences Center, and they come in and provide health and wellness programming. Yes, I love that. I, I love it too. Sure. Um, we have, like I said, people who are homeless, they're worried about where am I going to sleep? What am I going to eat? They're not necessarily worried about whether or not the food they're going to eat is going to be nutritious and good for their health. They're also not going to the doctor. Of so we, we had a woman, um, the LSU program program came in, and this particular month they were for focusing on breast cancer awareness and self-exams and going through that with the ladies, and they examined the woman and found a lump. Mm. She had breast cancer. Oh. But we were able to help her get treatment, and that probably saved her life. I would imagine it probably did. Because I can guarantee she probably wasn't going to go to the sure. doctor had she still been homeless sure. to find you know, that lump. And I would imagine that that goes you know, for cervical or pap or yep. pelvic exams and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and, and those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I would imagine that one of the things that you do as well is uh, is get folks uh, uh, hooked up on Medicaid if they're not ready on oh, yeah. Medicaid, and then children are automatically uh, as well. So then, so at least children are getting vaccinated. Folks mm-hmm. are getting vaccinated, and uh, yep. pediatricians are looking at children, and uh, and you've got uh, clinicians that are coming in and looking at, at the women as well. Yeah, now when, you go ahead. I'm when sorry. when someone comes into the shelter, if they are not enrolled in any 
government program for which they qualify. We right. get them. In, you get them all. In, in every <laughs> single, we check all of the boxes. If it's child care, if it's housing, if it's food stamps, if it's Medicaid. Like, we want everyone to live the best life possible, and we know that they need resources to do that. And so we make sure we connect them to that. We make sure that we are if they need transportation assistance to get to the doctor, we make that happen because we don't want them to continue living in a way that's not as healthy as possible. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. If you're tuning in, you are listening to 102.3 WHIV. This is the Get Check, Get Fit, Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Dr. Derry. Doc Griggs is not in, but I am Dr. Derry, and I. it is a pleasure uh, to be uh, talking uh, Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week uh, with Miss Melissa Tyler, who is the Development Director of the New Orleans Women and Children's Shelter. Mm-hmm. More information about them can be found at nowcs.org. And the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter is the largest organization organization serving homeless families in the greater New Orleans area with a mission to transition homeless families to sustainable and independent living. So when I went and visited, um, you have, uh, obviously you guys are in a building, uh, and, uh, with a, with a great, uh, with a beautiful kitchen Mm -hmm. with amazing facilities for children, including after school stuff and a, and a little playground, uh, in the back. Uh, and you also have, uh, obviously rooms, uh, for families, Mm -hmm. Now, do I remember correctly that that if uh, if a family has a uh, male uh, in it, like uh, a husband or a significant other, they are uh, they're welcome as well. Or? Absolutely, we want to keep families together. Right, separating children from their fathers um, is not the best thing. Just if the only thing that's separating them is that they are homeless, that is. We need to not separate them. Sure. So we um, we do accept families with male uh, family members and, and I ages. and I say that just because the um, obviously the organization is women yeah. and children and, and so <laughs> well, I just wanted so to clarify that I just want to say we went through a rebranding in 2014 we were the New Orleans Women's Shelter yes and then we looked at our stats and we saw that two-thirds of the people we served were children so we added children to our sure, name sure. and then in 2016 <laughs> <laughs> we started to um, accept male heads of household who were either single parents or in an intact family. That's we've, right. I remember. Yes. Yeah. Male heads of household. Right, mm-hmm. right. We've so. always accepted male children. Right, of course. Um, other shelters, they separate male population age 13 from the female population, which is a barrier to seeking help if you're a sure. single father and sure. you have daughters. Um, so we were very proud to make that um change and to help keep families together because that's another kind of trauma separating families yeah i I would well imagine now i i seem to have a recollection that that y'all had um expanded Mm -hmm. onto was it aretha castle haley or so we rolled back that shelter property i'm sorry that's okay no i'm I'm happy to talk about it because what we did was we reinvested those resources into our transition assistance program, which is the case management program for people once they leave the shelter. So, um, and I'll, I can't cite the source for this stat, and I know you as a scientist will... will no, that's okay. No, no, that, no, no, but, no, don't worry. Um, there was a stat that came out that said someone who is impoverished would need 20 years of nothing going wrong, no health scares, no car breakdown, nothing bad happening to get out 
of poverty. So they have to live in like somewhere like Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and right. so we have what is called our that transition. That does not happen in the U.S. No, yeah. that's, not at all. Um, but we have we have what is called our transition assistance program. That is long term case management. It is there to provide a safety net and support and access to resources for someone once they leave the shelter because we don't want them to become homeless again. And it's just, it's so funny. We had a guy move out yesterday and I said, you know, you're leaving here, but you've got friends in us. Don't forget that. He said, no, I've got family. And I mean, it was, it's true. And he knows that if he needs anything, he can call us sure. and we will help him solve the problem. Sure. Um, sometimes people just need help. And if they don't know where to turn, that's one of the ways that they end up homeless to begin with because they are at the end of their rope. They have no resources. So that transition assistance program is very, very important to making sure that people don't return to shelter, that they can maintain a sustainable lifestyle. And, and uh it just just for the sake of completeness of this conversation, mm-hmm. do you have any numbers or understanding of how many people you're able to put into some sort of stable housing that end up falling out of that? And if so, yeah. what are the risk factors for doing that? And can you try to predict that and mitigate it so that they don't fall out of stable housing once they find it? Yeah, absolutely. We have a very low recidivism rate. It's That's, 1%. Oh, look at... <laughs> Listen, listen, y'all, if there's any other reason to love these folks, okay, we're talking to Melissa Tyler, Development Director of the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter. Uh, more information about them can be found at nowcs.org. Can you just repeat that statistic again? That is so amazing. I was a little awkward <laughs> in asking it. That's why I kind of was like walking on eggshells, yeah. but I, this just makes me so happy. We have a 1% recidivism rate. In other words, only 1% of those that you find stable housing for end up falling out of stable housing. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it's it's something we are very proud. I of. would well imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something we work very hard at. I could well imagine um, as well. It is easy. And I just want to say we have we have great staff. Our staff makes the difference in what we do. Um, they can see sort of the bird's eye view and cut off problems before they happen. We had a family. They had WIC. Dad was going to work. Women women and children? Wick is women and children, right? Yes. That's like... Um, um, It's a feeding program. Yeah, yeah. So it's food food coupons, vouchers for food. Different from SNAP, though, right? Different from SNAP, yes. This is for young children. Right. Um, And so they had Wick, and the car that the Wick coupons were in was towed. Well, if you go to a tow lot and say, I just want to get something out of my glove compartment, they're not going to let you do that. Sure. So they called, the family called Miss Margie, who's our TAP coordinator, and uh, they told her what was happening. And she said, well, let's talk about this. Well, they were going to not pay rent so that they could feed their child, which, hey, right. food is the basic need. Of you cannot live without that. And Margie said, no, no, pay your rent. Yeah, yeah. We will help with the food. Sure. Right. Because they didn't see that that was something that was going to lead them back into homelessness. Because yeah, if you get behind on your rent one month, I, I'm it just snowballs. I'm just learning about this right now mm-hmm. uh, as uh, I know folks that are going to eviction court mm-hmm. and the like I'm hearing like it takes somewhere between five to ten seconds for a judge 
to determine eviction. And sometimes it, you know, in fact, I was just watching these stories on WDSU on these uh, five apartment buildings in, yeah. in New Orleans Laguna East. Laguna Run. The Laguna mm-hmm. Run, right. You know, that, and and some folks are, you know, the, the mold situation oh. in these places are, oh, yeah. th- those walls are dead. Mm-hmm. I mean, mold is essentially fungus. The whole purpose for fungus is to eradicate dead things. Because yes. if we didn't have fungus, there'd be dead things all over the place, mm-hmm. right? That's why when you take over a log <laughs> in the woods, it's totally it's eroded covered. on the bottom. It's covered with fungus, right? It's the whole purpose of fungus, right? <laughs> and as a microbiologist, I know this for a fact, right? Okay. Uh, and I see that in the human body, right? Yeah. And and fortunately, mold on a wall is very hard to – it does not necessarily infect individuals, and that's a good thing. There's very slight – exceptions for that but but these those walls those drywalls are dead yeah. and they need to be completely like redone and and so folks are doing mold remediation on their own and they're taking it off the rent and then they're being evicted for yes. it yes that to me is just it is just again it just speaks to the cruelty of our society mm-hmm. and how we found ourselves here and how we need to rethink capitalism yeah you know so the thing is, we had two families that were in that apartment okay, complex. Okay, so good. So, so we're, we're speaking from experience. Intimately familiar yes. with what's going on there. Um, one of the families did not pay the rent because they would not remediate the mold. They got evicted. Another family was told you have to get out by December 2nd. They are not returning security deposits to any of these people. Of course not. So if you don't have $1,800 saved so you can afford first, last, and, you know, uh, deposit on a place you are literally being put out and you're at risk for homelessness yeah yeah i actually went to the um i went to the website of the owners mm-hmm. the um these are venture capitalists in new york city mm-hmm. and they've got their little slick website and yep. all their little testimonials and and stuff but then i went to their google reviews mm. uh in the last couple days so i highly recommend that y'all go on the <laughs> google reviews we will and just knock them like just just let the world know because if somebody's looking at them to do business and then they flip over and they see their Google reviews yeah. and I had them for last night and we just didn't get to them. I was going to read some of these Google reviews and I wish I had thought that we were going to talk about it today, <laughs> but they were devastating and they were wonderful. Yeah. They were wonderful of just like these people are the worst in they the are. mold and, and the sewage backing up and you know, and then you had the, um, uh, the, uh, and I, I say the, the, the poor, uh, kind of uh he was the maintenance person mm-hmm. and, I, and i say the reason why i'm referring to him is the poor maintenance person is that he he was one of five um that went you know public if you will and yeah. spoke in front of a camera but they had to modify his voice and they never showed his face yeah for fear of retaliation and i'm sure that though they are looking at one of those five uh oh, yeah. and, you know and that was a very brave thing but the things that this gentleman was saying along the lines of you know pipes that were that are that are cracking because they were made in the 70s of course there was no um uh there was no uh, uh repair, infrastructure repair there's no investment yeah. all it is 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 they're getting all of these um you know they're getting checks regularly yeah. especially for is it halpa or who's who's paying i it's a i i the various should, housing programs various housing programs yeah. that are paying mm-hmm. and and essentially, there's companies like this in New York, and I would imagine all they do is they buy these kind of low-income buildings because they yeah. know they're just going to get, you know, a return on their investment because there are these constant checks that are coming mm-hmm. through that are government-based. And there are no rules in how – well, I, I guess theoretically, there's – supposed to be using abatements mm-hmm. uh an abatement is essentially withholding checks from the the state or city or federal level but they're still not repairing these no. and and these 
the, uh, uh, these conditions are atrocious. Yeah, they absolutely are. And if you have children, you're you're really going to be shocked. And you cannot raise children in an environment like that. No, not at all. The, the advantage for the two people who were um, house, head of households for the families that came from our shelter is we are going to help them find housing by the second. We are not going to allow them to be homeless again. Um, and what we do through our rapid rehousing and our transition assistance program is if we have a landlord who is not keeping the property up, we will go after them. We will have lots of conversations and if we need to get someone else involved, we will. Um, but from the, from the very beginning, when we do inspections, if it doesn't meet a standard, then we don't allow our families to move in there because people do take advantage of low income families. Of course. <laughs> that just, that happens. Um, the thinking is, well, where else are you going to find a place this cheap? So what are you going to do about it? Well, we have people who are there to advocate on behalf of our families. We take that very seriously. And we also show them how to advocate for themselves. Clearly communicate, put it in writing, you know, do all of the things that you have to do so that when you have to fight, you're well, you're ready, you know. Um, And that's one of the things I really love about our program because some people would just give up and they would just move out or go stay in their car. And we're like, that's not going to happen here. We're going to fight this and we're going to help you. Um, and I would imagine the people that are more prone to do something like that are people that may have been previously homeless. Oh, yeah. Or grew up in homelessness mm-hmm. and are chronically disempowered as well. Because for them, that's a reasonable solution. Right. They've been there before. They know that. I, I've been meaning to ask you this question. Yeah, no, we go get, for and it. we have got a minute and a half. And so, I, yeah, I know the hour goes by really quick. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this. I usually, and I guess I see a statistic that you have here, um, but I usually use a, a statistic that 40% of children in New Orleans are, are food insecure. Mm-hmm. Is that still a fair, accurate? Uh, uh, yeah, okay. I'd say that's fair and accurate. Okay, mm-hmm. because I know that here uh, you have that they're also 20% are, are housing insecure as yeah. well. And, uh, and it, it, it's just, it's it's tragic. Um, I think that the work you you do you you know this. I am a huge fan of you personally. You. <laughs> uh, the work that you do, Thank and you. then of course the work that the uh, uh, the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter. It's been a pleasure talking to Miss Melissa Tyler, who is the development director of the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter. More information about them can be found at nowcs.org. And the New Orleans Women's and Children's Shelter is the largest organization serving homeless families in the Greater New Orleans area with the mission to transition homeless families to sustainable and independent living and this week is hunger and homeless awareness week so miss melissa as always it's been such a pleasure thank you thank you so much and i also want to thank miss branda as well thank you so much for making this happen and uh coming up next uh, we're going to be tuning in right into uh the real news network and uh they're about three minutes in thank you guys so much for tuning in we'll see you all next week